Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. And today we're going to talk about technology and the adoption of technology inside growing companies. And there's so much innovation that's out there. The rate of change um, has been just dramatic over the last 10, 20 years. But we all know it's one thing to have technology and innovation But the implementation of that always involves the human factor. And I am so excited to have our special guest today, Stephanie Carhey, who is president, CEO, and founder of UC Interlink with us because her company specializes in optimizing the adoption of new, advanced, and emerging technologies. She and her company have developed an in-house proprietary solution of people analytics software called Adoption Analytics, and it's all about accelerating the decision process and how to best introduce those new technologies. Through the combination of data about human behavior, relationships, and persona traits, it all is about making better talent management decisions. It's about enabling IT and business leaders to replace what they typically may have relied on in the past, which is anecdotal experiences, uh, but also be able to bring that data and that intelligence in to make higher quality decisions. It's about analysis. It's about predictions. It's about statistical insights and proven research. And Stephanie is working with companies large and small, from the Fortune 500 to emerging small businesses and government agencies that are all seeking less disruption and more than the status quo so that they can get the full value out of their technology investments. And Stephanie brings an incredible background into all of this value that she is delivering to these companies. She has been in the technology industry for over 20 years. Half of that, she served as a senior Cisco collaboration expert uh, within, of course, Cisco Systems and did a lot of business development within Cisco, ultimately really helping drive revenue in excess of $150 million in products and services. So she knows all about the technology side of things. She knows a lot about collaboration. Uh, she's an accomplished author. Uh, she's written a book about the whole transition of Cisco from PBX to IP telephony. So she knows her stuff. So I'm really excited not only to talk a little bit about the adoption of new technologies, but also her personal journey as an entrepreneur and founding UC Interlink. So Stephanie from Chicago, welcome (laughs) to Market Impact Insights. Thanks, Dan. I have been so excited to talk to you today. Anytime I get to talk about, you know, technology and the people side of it, uh, I always welcome the opportunity. So thanks for having me. Well, Stephanie, let's go back to the start of your career. So speaking of technology, Can you talk a little bit about what motivated you personally to pursue this career path in technology and innovation? 
Well, you know, Dan, if I'm being honest, I didn't start off liking technology. I wasn't someone who said, you know, this is the place for me. In fact, when a recruiter came to me and said, you know, there's an opportunity for you to, you know, get a position working for one of the top technology companies in Silicon Valley and uh, and the ability to impact uh, what they do in technology, I turned them down. I just said, this isn't this isn't what I want to do. I, I had gone to college to be a journalist. I wanted to be the next Barbara Walters and I wanted to... <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to change the world, right? And so, technology didn't uh, didn't uh, didn't uh, didn't come across to me as something that was in my field or, or what I was passionate about. So, so when I had a chance to go back after the recruiter said, you know, come come back and, and let's talk and meet with the hiring team, I had a chance to sit with some of the, some really smart people, and who basically said, you know, Stephanie, this isn't going to be about technology. This is going to be about people and storytelling and being able to change the world. And that was my hook. That's what was exciting to me is, you know, when you when I went to school to be a journalist, it was the people side that I wanted to be able to tell stories about. And so working for a company like Cisco, I got a chance to do that. I got a chance to tell, you know, great stories and 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 work in advanced technologies that people weren't even familiar with. I got a chance to work in some advanced technologies that weren't even mainstream. Um, and so when I was asked to join the company and to be a leader in the company, as well as um, take on new things that it hadn't been on uh, on on the tips of people's tongue about you know what it means to use technology. I thought, wow, what a great opportunity! What a chance to do something that uh, has never been done before. So I did that. So I was responsible for building this amazing team of people and uh, professionals in driving some of the largest technology migrations in the industry. At the time, voice over IP was. Was, uh, was something that people had interest in, but they didn't think it was proven. And so we got a chance to prove that technology can be used as a way to storytell. Uh, people allow people to tell their stories individual to individual. So you could use collaborative technologies to have face-to-face conversations or one-to-many conversations. And that's another way of telling a story. And so we were very successful in doing that. And so companies came all over the world to come to Cisco, and, and and certainly there was that interest in, tell me about the bits and bytes of that and, and what the infrastructure requires to do that. But what they were also interested in is, tell me, how did you get 100,000 people and with multiple backgrounds and multiple locations? How did you get them all interested in change? How did you get the company to adopt to a whole new way of working? And that became my hook. That became the hook for mm-hmm. what I do. And it, it, it became the story of basically my entire career is being able to do that. Yeah. What, what an amazing uh, example and case study in uh, rapid transition and pivoting. Uh, and of course, uh, you reminded me that we have that in common because I started out <laughs> as a journalist as well on the broadcast side, but but it is about people. And it seems like that, that's been kind of a recurring theme is just that human uh, element uh, throughout. And I'm curious, uh, you talked about Cisco, obviously a big global technology company, and, and then you made the decision to go out and start this new company. And what was the inspiration to take that big step? That is a big leap. And a lot it of is. people think about it. They don't do it. You did it. Uh, what uh, really drove that? 
Yeah, I, I think all of us, if we think about our careers, we, we all have transitions in our careers. You know, wh- what should I be doing? What's 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 the next thing that I, I should what's the next project should I do? So like like everyone else, I was going through a transition within Cisco. And one of the things that made me extremely successful is that I could innovate and I could I could do things that was really different when you talk about what technology means. And so um, I, I had this great mentor that used to always say, to me that if you if you have a skill set that you could wrap a nice bow around it and set it on a shelf and people would buy it, well, that's a great catalyst for starting your own company. And I thought, boy, the things that I were that I was successful in at Cisco, I could do that and package that to Cisco customers and Microsoft customers and Zoom customers that all want to have that level of understanding of how do we make technology work for the people that we serve and the people that work for us. And that really became the catalyst for starting UC Interlink. And, um, and so when we first began the company, you know, uh, 12 years ago, there, there really wasn't a lot of companies doing what we were doing. In fact, we were kind of best in class out all by ourselves on this lonely island. And it was great. We, we were, uh, you know, knocking down doors and being invited to some of the biggest, largest multi-million dollar projects you could imagine. Um, and now, fast forward 12 years later, you're seeing that there are a lot of companies, the big top five consulting firms yeah. all have the ability to do this. They all are looking into the space of people analytics, people, uh, understanding the human talent that drives business. And all of that needs to be part of the conversation now. And so we were so glad to be on the early stages of that. And now we're evolving even more and, uh, and excited to be part of the, of, the, of the evolution of how technology is impacting the world. Right. And clearly you were the pace setter because now you've got these large uh, global brands that are coming in and uh, you know kind of invading the turf that you kind of built out and so that that really brings up an interesting question which is Stephanie obviously as you're developing your own company you're establishing a culture but when you're a smaller fish and you're in this pond and you've got these really big sharks these big fish and you're competing they're not fish they're sharks okay <laughs> sharks exactly right they're sharks right. so they're exactly. swimming around they're swimming around right and you're continuing to try to feed and grow like what has that been like and, and what's your secret to being successful in that yeah, I, I boy, did you hit that one right on. Um, it's definitely, you know, not for the faint of heart. You, you really have to come into something like this having an extreme level of confidence that you can walk into any room knowing you know what you know, right? And I think um, in order to survive in that kind of environment, uh, you had to have a great story. You had to have a unique offering that was really different than everyone else. Uh, I have a great story where um, there was this opportunity to, to go after this really big uh, contract and it was a large retailer I won't name the name of the company but uh, we were we were brought in to basically pitch our services and and certainly there were the big guys in there pitching their services as well and I think what made us different um, and why companies you know chose us and particularly in that case it was because we we brought real world experiences that that offered something that they the big guys were just not able to do. Um, when you've been in the trenches and a CEO is basically making a decision on a multi, you know, sometimes $100 million investment, 
they want to know that they're they're going to minimize the risk of that choice. And so being in the trenches myself, who's who's actually been there, done that, we could have a level of empathy with the CEO and say to them, listen, we know the decision you're making is going to be life altering for your company. And here's how we're going to minimize that risk. And I think coming from the perspective of the the, the company and how the users are going to be impacted by that, I think always made for a better story. And so, uh, but the sharks, you know, never let it, never let us, uh, (laughs) never let us forget that they were always hovering around. And I'll tell you, there's been many incidents where, you know, the shark would swallow us up and we had to get out of the deal because it just, it just didn't make sense for us to keep, you know, in these battles of constantly, you know, trying to be the leader to, uh, to make a difference in these customers. So we, we, we actually started to pivot around some of these opportunities it became less stressful for us to se- to step away from some of the big Fortune 500 and really start focusing more on the the more smaller companies who mm-hmm. want mm-hmm. to compete, right? Who want to compete with the big companies themselves, but they don't have access to you know the McKinseys and the Bains and the Deloittes and the uh, and the Accentures, right? But they need that level of expertise, and so we created a nice niche um, at UC Interlink to kind of go after those kinds of uh, those customers who who want to have a seat at the table with the big guys, but don't necessarily have the the ability to attract or even afford some of these uh, larger um, you know consulting companies. So, so so I think having a niche uh, is really key, and I, and I think we've done that quite well. We stay in our lane, if you will, if you know that expression. Stay in your lane. We, right. we try to we try to do that. That that's right. And actually, there's just no time for complacency, right? Because it's the ultimate motivator of just knowing that. Uh, the other competitors aren't going to let you rest on your laurels. You've got to keep bringing it every day. You do. And every year, uh, you know, one of my jobs as the founder of the company is to think about how are we going to be different you know, tomorrow, what, what do we have to do that's going to allow us to continue to compete? And so one of the things that I, we started working on as a company was about five years ago, uh, we started looking at analytics. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting about adoption services and, and business adoption is that you always want the customer to feel excited and, and you shake the hand at the end of the deal saying, wow, this was a great experience, but could, but could you prove it, right? Could you prove that you actually made a difference? Mm-hmm. And so this wasn't about ROI, right? E- everybody hears a story of, oh, this this was a $100 million ROI story, right? And sometimes customers would like those ROIs and wouldn't believe them, and sometimes they would. Uh, so we wanted to be able to say, did you change the culture? Did you change the way people were actually working? That's where analytics could be a game changer for us. And so being able to take everything that we've learned um, over the last 20 years around how people work and, and how they use technology, what if we could create an algorithm that could actually look for those personas and define those personas within companies so that they could understand how their users work? I'll tell you, Don, uh, Dan, one of the things that's really interesting about customers is they are so sometimes so much in denial about who their employees are. Um, they will say, well, hey, we're very technology you know, centric. We love technology only to find out that they're not, right? That they are very change adverse and they really don't pivot very easily 
easily in technology. So being able to give them that level of, of insight that's not based on anecdotal or hierarchical structure telling you, you know, what's real, you could real have real insights around the people and what they do, who they collaborate with, and how they're changing um, the way technology is being done is a fantastic way to better understand um, how to really take advantage of these really amazing assets in a company, which is the, the intellectual property of, of, of how people uh, can share and deliver on their engagements and their results. So that's been a game changer for us. And we no longer have the shake your hand and, hey, thank you for the engagement, but we can actually show proof that you've been able to kind of move the baton forward, which is very exciting to me. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting, you know, the, thinking to the different organizations I've worked in that have been technology driven. And sometimes you get caught up in uh, the buzzwords, it becomes the popular theme of the day. And so we hear a lot about business transformation, right? Or digital transformation, synergy, uh, all of that. But you're right. Uh, it's really how do you translate into meaningful uh, meaningful actions that you can actually get alignment and and rally the people in your organization need to believe in it and they need to understand in a tangible way what how they can contribute to it, right? And that's not easy to do. It's not. It's not. And when you think about COVID-19 and, and the fact that we all have had this major transition in the last year, it becomes even more important to understand the behaviors of our users because they're not, they're not, you know, at the water coolers, you know, talking, they're not having one-on-one face-to-face uh, -face meetings with their, with their staff anymore. It's, it's, it's not about, you know, having a beer after work and, and building those relationships. It's about being able to understand you know, how are people working differently? And is this really working, right? You don't want to wait a year from now to find out your remote working program is not working, right? You kind of want to know what are the things that create those experience today that could really make a difference in my business so that I could make decisions today and not have to wait a year or six months to find out that really we did that poorly. And boy, boy, should we have done that differently. Right, right. Well, Speaking of making a difference, you obviously personally have made a difference in terms of uh, founding the company and having all of this uh, positive, transformative impact in the clients that you work with. But you and I talked before this podcast that there's an aspect to what's driving you that is based on your own personal journey. So this is the part of the conversation. We talked about it. This is where we're going to get real. Okay, yes. Stephanie. And so there's obviously been a lot of focus, a lot of talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion you know, over the past year even. It's accelerated in, across the corporate landscape. But I would love for you to share some of your personal experiences and the real challenges that you faced in your own career journey. Yeah. And, you know, talk about being real, Dan. Uh, thank you for that question, because I, I think being a woman of color, being African-American and then being a woman, um, there's two, as I call them, advantages uh, that I have walking into a, a, a meeting or, or meeting a client for the first time. So so certainly you're, you're you have those issues where, you know, the client or, or the partners you're working with are underestimating you. Right. Or, and think that you aren't prepared or, or you can bring uh, the value that you think you can bring. I, I think as Women, we we all uh, have those challenges where we, we have to, you know, uh, walk in there with a level of confidence that we know what we know. Um, but I, but I think the other element of it is, 
you know, working in technology, let's be honest, there's just not a lot of people of color that do what we do. And, and it's not because the skill set isn't there. It's because you just don't get opportunities to do that. So I was extremely blessed to work for, you know, one of the top technology companies in the world at Cisco. And so building on those relationships allowed me to go out on my own and, and, and create this great business that we have. But, but not a lot of co- people of color get a chance to do that. And so I, I think what's real is that you have a lot of great talent out there, but they're just never given the opportunity. And I, and I think that's so sad that we as a culture and as a, as a, as an industry, we like to do business with people that we know. We like to do business with people that know us, but the innovation and the ingenuity of being able to do something even better comes from bringing in outside voices that are not like you, that don't look like you. And so it was always disheartening to me, the hundreds and hundreds of customers I've had a chance to uh, interface with. I would be in a, a room with CEOs of some of the top companies and I would look at the t- look around the room and there was no one that looks like me. I was always the only one. No. And so it was always disheartening to, you know, always see that and always to realize that, you know, I I wasn't the exception to the rule. You know, all of the people that I know are smart and capable and people of color that are doing amazing things, but they don't always get a seat at the table. So I would say, you know, during this culture shift that we're having as a country um, and as the world is changing, let's all try and embrace uh, each other in a way that will allow for us to take advantage of the fact that there are voices beyond our own that could bring amazing experiences that could change uh, the way things are done. And I think if we were to take the, take the opportunity to look around in the rooms that we're in and if everybody there looks like you, there should be a problem with that. Right. There should be somebody who is saying, why is it that we don't have enough voices here that represent the entire you know, people and people that we serve? So I would say that that was one of the that was one of the issues that I never really liked about working in technology is there just wasn't a lot of people of color, you know, given opportunities. And so I always thought that my job, you know, like Tiger Woods. Right. So Tiger Woods was never the one that would bang on the door and say, oh, I want to be I want to have equal rights. I want to have the ability to to have everybody come and play at the golf course that I that I that I come and play at. He said, I'm going to be the best and I'm going to show them that being the best and that I am just as good as anybody else, if not better, then they're going to see that that was a stupid rule to limit it to the only people that look like you should come and play golf. And I think I've tried to take the same approach, which is if I come being the best, showing what I can do and letting people see that it's about that there are a lot of really great talented people that you can really open the door to other people, you know, coming behind you and more people getting more and more access. So I'd love to see, you know, the industry as a whole, you know, having boards and having uh, partners that are diverse and bring more to the table than just the status quo of what they're used to always seeing, because there's so much innovation and there's so much uh, talent out there that's being wasted because again, we're as humans, we're, we're, we're creatures of habit. We like to, you know, we like to do what we're comfortable and sometimes being uncomfortable is a chance where you get an amazing opportunity that maybe you wouldn't have had before. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm kind of relating it. I worked in the fitness industry for for several years, and we know through uh, the exercise science that it's all about and to get real growth, right? To get real growth in fitness, it's about challenging, kind of changing, changing direction, right? And kind of shocking the system, right? 
and shocking your body and the system. And here we're talking about overcoming the uh, natural inclination to want to just stay within comfort zones. Exactly. But in this case, it's about expanding and shocking that system, but you're going to gain so much more incrementally, exponentially by doing that. So um, thanks for sharing that perspective, um, Stephanie. And as a role model, because you're kind of setting the pace, you're setting this positive example, I'm wondering if you think about uh, where it really starts, you know, in technology, how do we get more diversity uh, into technology? It's, it's starting and getting young people really excited, young people, right, uh, of color, you know, interested and excited about the potential to work within technology, right? So I'm sure you're seeing some of that, hopefully, we're getting more young people interested in uh, pursuing a career in that area. Yeah, I mean, you've heard about STEM programs where it's about science, technology, and math and trying to get, you know, women and, and people of color to get excited about, you know, technology and and coding and learning about, you know, ways in which they could have a seat at the table in technology. But I, I'm a perfect example that if you're somebody who doesn't love the bits and bytes of technology, you can still have a very successful career you know, doing something that is um, in the realm of technology, but in the space of what I'm good at, right? So being uh, being somebody who loves telling stories, who has a background in journalism and communication, uh, I had a chance to really thrive in an industry where, let's just face it, engineers are not always known as people who are, you know, high communicators, right? And so I can, <laughs> I'll vouch for that. Yes. <laughs> so I got a chance to really shine in an industry that didn't really have a lot of people who were interested and talking to customers and telling the story. So I was very successful in that. So I, so I would say if you if you have an interest in technology, but you don't really love the aspect of, listen, I don't want to code. I don't want to be somebody who's you know developing products, but I love the idea of working in an industry that is changing the way people communicate and, and the way things are done. Take advantage of what it is that you do and see how you can bring something unique to that marketplace that doesn't exist today, that you can bring a unique spin to it. So I, that would be my advice to young people is that it's so competitive out there. I have a niece who, who just got accepted into Boston University, and I'm so proud of her. And she is, uh, you know, speaks Japanese fluently and loves business. And I can't wait to see how she's going to take this whole idea of culture and, and language and business and create something different that doesn't exist right? Or is very unique to find. Um, because I think we need that. I think we need the young people to figure out ways that are different than what us who have been doing this for a long time have never even thought of. And uh, how exciting, how, how very exciting to be young and uh, enter into a new field today um, than what you and I, Dan, had to do back oh. in the day to get into the fields that we're in. Back in the day. Absolutely. Back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to circle back uh, something that you're obviously very well versed in and, and is at the heart of what, what you do is data analytics. And you talked about the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, it's uh, people are stepping back. They're reevaluating business process. They're re reimagining how people work, right? Going to that virtual workforce, all of that stuff. But what is it about data analytics that is still so critical, even in these highly disruptive times? Well, I think the typical IT professional that I have to interface with still thinks that the value is understanding, you know, what is my infrastructure doing, right? And so for years, 
we've had to try and convince the infrastructure decision makers that it's not just about what is your infrastructure doing, but it's about what are your people doing? And then how do you marry the two together? And so what analytics does is it allows you to kind of bring the two together. So you've got all this digital data that you are, you know, capturing, you know, even inadvertently capturing it, that you can now translate that into um, insights that give you even more perspective on how the technology could be rolled out and implemented within the within the workforce. So I think understanding that analytics is a way to kind of change the way we think about things um, and how we make decisions um, that are a little bit more solid and that are based on evidence, I think gives us more confidence, right? And so if we're going to make a decision on something that's a little disruptive, where, wow, we just don't really do that, maybe having insights as to how what's the best path to least resistance is a way to do it that you will feel more confident in doing it. So I think at the end of the day, customers want to have confidence and have risk avoidance around decisions that they're making. And so having analytics as a way to give them that insight that they possibly didn't know or have even an inkling about um, makes us all better. And when we can tie it back to people analytics, which is what I'm passionate about, boy, does that change everything, right? It really ties us to thinking about how, how this choice we are about to make in technology will impact all of the people that we serve and all the people that we want to love this technology. But do we have the personas within our own organization that Mm -hmm. are going to enable this or going to be resistant to it? And I think understanding that um, will be such a great game changer and I think is going to shift um, and is starting to shift the way people think. Uh, One last point about that is, you know, I saw this great article the other day that um, even Facebook has has created what's called a a remote worker, you know, people direct, uh, people um, expert whose job is to understand remote work and how people work and and how analytics is going to be a part of that. And that and those jobs didn't exist before, Dan. So the fact that companies like Facebook, who are certainly technology um, centric, are starting to think about how do we change the roles that we have and how analytics is going to be a big part of those roles. I think you're going to see companies starting to do that. They're going to have, you know, chief analytics experts on their staff that are going to be doing some of the things that we're doing to help enable them. They're going to be trying to do that in-house. And I think those trends um, around um, make again, being able to make those decisions based on those that data that you're accumulating is going to be extremely exciting. And I think for those who didn't want to embrace it are now being forced to. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fascinating. It's all about data driven decision-making and you mentioned people a lot and about coming back to people and how people work together. We hear a lot about uh, collaboration, right? How do we work well across functional teams and, from your perspective, you're working with so many different types of companies. What kind of evolution have you seen over the past decade in terms of how even the senior leaders, let alone their teams, are working better together to generate better results? Um, I, I think it goes back to what is it that we know and what is it that we don't know, right? So I, I think you typically would see the hierarchical structure of leadership saying, this is what we know, right? We, we know things to be this way. And what we're finding is that if you if you really let the data 
um, provide that level of insight that you didn't have before, guide you, and certainly marry it with, you know, what you know to be true, there's this new perspective that you, you didn't have before. And I, and so I think, um, like I said earlier, going to have a beer with somebody and, and deciding on who should, who you should hire is no longer going to be, you know, the factor in determining who's going to be the best fit, right? It's, it's also about understanding what are the personas that fit within your organization and who's driving that content of value uh, collaboratively that you have to understand in order to make the organizational grow, the organization grow. And so making better decisions about who you hire, how, you know, how they're going to um, work and even compensation. I think analytics is going to play a big role in that. Right. And I think output, oh my goodness, output is going to be the driver for a lot of these functional teams. So it's no longer going to be about looking busy, right? Oh, we're look. oh, we're so busy over here. Right. But it's, does your output equate to you providing value that can be measured and can uh, tell us that you're actually, you know, a great contributor to the organization. So this isn't about big brother. I want to be careful about that, right? Because I, I will never be in an industry where it's about, you know, big brother and privacy breaches and the, mor- and the morality no. of analytics, right? So that, that's not what I'm saying. It's really about understanding how we can be the best that we can be. You know, I call it the productivity fit score of who we are. And we all want to be better at, at what we do. We, are, we all want to be the best. We all want to be really good at what we do. So, so if I have insights that will tell me at an individual level, what is it I do well and how can I do better? That empowers me. Right. And I think for those people who find that scary, well, this is, you work for a company. So if you're working for a company, they're expecting output. And if you're, if you're going to be delivering output and if there's a way to do it better, boy, doesn't that help you and the company? So, so I think cross-functionally, um, we're all learning that we all have to support each other. We all have to work together, but it's also that individual realizing that their output is going to be the driver that determines everything and their ability to contribute to the company. So I think having analytics that tell you more about that story and what that means and how do you measure that and how do you ensure that you've got the right makeup of people in the organization, I think is it's going to be a game changer and it's starting to be a game changer. Now. I think people are, are um, hiring those kinds of people that um, deliver on that promise and, um, and are excited about what it can bring to those who are really focused and really good at what they do because they want to be compensated for that. You know, even for me and for what I do, it's like, sometimes you're so good at something just because I'm fast at it doesn't mean that I should be paid less. Right. So, you know, if you are somebody who's really good at what you do, does that mean I should get paid less because I can do it faster? Right. So it's, it's so, so it's compensating me for my value and my contribution, not how much time it takes me to do that. And I think analytics gives us the ability to kind of start Mm -hmm. dipping our toe in those waters of understanding that a little bit better. And then uh, being able to use that kind of insight again, to make things better for the people that we attract and people who want to work with us and people who want to work in that kind of environment. Because I know I would, because I'm all about results, right? So, so I think companies want people like that working for them as well. That's a really good point. And it's not just about the better recruitment, but in today's highly competitive environment where uh, talent is, is this tremendous asset that the company has, right? The, the, the people capital the human capital that exists, retention is is going to be huge, isn't it? You've, yes. you've someone that has the the talent and the skills and the drive, 
they're going to be highly coveted by other organizations. So part of this is how do you keep them motivated, you know, not just recruiting the right people to come in, but then keeping them over time. Yeah. And it's also understanding that they're going to be, uh, they're going to be giving lots of opportunities just because you want them does not mean they want to come work for you. So, you know, I've been working from home for 20 plus years. My, my family and friends never could understand how, how can you be effective, you know, never leaving, never leaving your home <laughs> office. Right. And now it's become mainstream. Everybody understand the concept of working from home. Right. And so being able to offer those competitive packages that allow people to work the way they want to work again, output driven, in, gives us the opportunity to recruit talent that's not just within a 30-mile radius of where we work, but anywhere in the world, right? So you right. can get the best and best, best in class of what you're looking for um, because we now have the flexibility to be able to have them come and contribute. Um, for, you know, and, and it goes back to that diversity statement we were talking about earlier. You can get people that don't necessarily look like you or don't even speak the same language, but they have this value that you want and you're not limited by are they within a 30 mile radius of where we work in our, our office, but can they bring value that goes beyond the borders of, of, of where, where we live? And I think having that competitive advantage to recruit people, you know, anywhere, if they're in South Central Los Angeles or in Australia, you can have the opportunity to bring those kind of people within your company and have a more diverse group of people because technology allows you to do that. So that is really exciting. And I hope companies take advantage of this newfound ability that we really weren't accustomed to before, but now is the new norm. Yeah, I think they already are. And it's actually a level the playing field too. You think about smaller companies that maybe don't have the resources yet of the bigger established companies, but now don't have to deal with competing with expensive relocation packages. And, and it's not all about, hey, let us show you our huge office complex, right? I mean, now it's about the, the quality and the impact of the work, right? So to me, it feels like it's leveling the playing field a bit, right? Yes. In companies. Yeah, I think so. And I think we can learn a lot. I always say this, we can learn a lot about the consumer market and how we create experiences in companies like Amazon and Nordstrom's and Zappos Shoes, right? Those experiences that they are so focused on creating in the retail and consumer market we can create those similar, you know, very personal, customized experiences for the workers too. And so I think you can create new experiences that allow for people to feel valued and appreciated and that you know me, you know what I want, and you're not going to make me fit into this bubble of what is expected because everybody does it that way, allows for you again to create this whole new avenue of opportunity that again, gives you so much more diversity and capabilities beyond um, what typically is, is, is thought of today. So boy, do we have a lot of great things. I mean, COVID was a terrible thing. And um, boy, did it really disrupt, I think, every single human being on the planet. But it also allowed us to really think about what's important. And if you have a family, if you want to be close to home, if you like going to the beach, if you like working on the beach, all of those things that are important to you now can be part of the decision-making process of where you work. Because those experiences should be tied to how you recruit people and what's important to them. It's not just about you, you have to come and sit in my office, right? And you have to right. come to my corporate headquarters and play nice, right? And, and smile at the executives. It's about, again, creating experiences that are unique to the people 
that uh, what they want. And it's not that big of an ask. And you can still manage them. You can still ensure that they're providing the output that you want with analytics. And you can still get that value from them that you need, but still giving them what they want too. And boy, isn't that a win-win that we all want? It, it definitely is. And we, so we've been talking the last couple of minutes about the remote workforce. And that's certainly one of the big trends, right? Clear trend. And it's it's real. It's happening are there any other major technology trends, Stephanie, that you see that will be shaping the way business leaders are planning for their strategic growth or to optimize their workforce productivity over the next several years? Yeah, I, I think we're there's a couple of trends that I see. And and one of them is, you know, goes back to the analytics side of it where Personal dashboards, I think, are going to be the new norm soon. I, I think it's no longer uh, acceptable to keep all that great data insights at the management level and only the data analysts get to see what's happening. But bringing that data down to the individual worker so that they could see you know, what they're doing is contributing to the masses will change behavior, right? And I think when we all, as I, as I say, when we all know our numbers and we all know what is working and what's not, it will change behavior. So I think having those personal dashboards that give us insight and we're not keeping it all a secret, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what we do well so that people can actually contribute to making things better because they have visibility and access to that data, I think is going to be a game changer. I think you're going to see a lot of people, um, wanting that level of access taken all the way down to the individual worker and not just at the executive level. I think that's number one. Um, I think number two, that we can't be so afraid of big brother. I think we're, we're going to learn that, you know, especially the millennials and the, and the generation Xers, they are comfortable with sharing what I like and what I don't like. And so I think if, again, if we keep our morality in check as to what, you know, what boundaries we won't cross, I think we're going to find that if that information that we are learning about our employees, um, and that if we can share it with them, that this is a way for you to be the best that you can be, that whole concept of big brother watching you can be minimized. So I think understanding that um, and, and, and being able to, you know, thread that needle in a way that is empowering and less about big brother, I, I think is going to be important. Um, and then certainly AI is a big part of it, right? And so AI allows us to go, and even though you have 100,000, 10,000, or even 10 individuals, you can still create custom experiences. And so being able to take advantage of machine learning and, and, um, and artificial intelligence, I think is going to be something that is going to be even more mainstream in, um, and providing that value again at the at the people level and the worker level, I think being able to share that level of information, um, and then certainly more and more jobs are being created around you know chief you know people officers that understand analytics, that understand people, that understand you know collaboration, they understand how people work. I think those roles are going to be even more critical. They're going to be sitting right next to the CIO, helping to make decisions. Um, as opposed to, you know, not even a thought before. I think we're going to see more and more of that becoming, you know, those are going to be influencers that are going to really be changing the game and, uh, and having a voice uh, that's going to be impactful across the entire company. Yeah, that's an interesting point. The access to meaningful data actually elevates the, the positioning of the people leaders in an organization, right? Yes. To the other uh, IT leaders and the other functional leaders. Yeah, that is, that is definitely fascinating. And, we talked earlier about the disruption that the COVID-19 pandemic has created globally. 
But despite all of that disruption and despite all of the uncertainty that has existed in all sorts of industries over the past year, Stephanie, what makes you optimistic about the future? Mm, wow. Well, you know, I, like everybody, there's good days and there's bad days, right? There's good days that you say, wow, things are changing so fast. And boy, we're already part of that change. And, and the things that we're talking about today, you know, there have been the solutions for them, you know, years and years ago that have been developed, but companies just weren't ready for them. Um, and I think we're seeing customers are being more and more ready for them. So, that creates a level of optim, you know, the optimism that you know that allows for you to really think that wow, all the things that you're passionate about and excited about around people analytics is becoming more main mainstream. So I think that allows me to really wake up in the morning feeling excited about it. And but the downside of that is is also trying to balance. We're still struggling with the idea of balance, right? And I and I think you know even though we're having all these opportunities, boy, it still gets difficult to do it all, right? We all want to do it all and we can't. So picking your battles, picking what is exciting to you and picking um, projects that give you passion and, and have you wake up in the morning um, is, is what's optimistic for me. And that's really what I, I try to do every day is work on things that I'm excited about and um, and work in an industry that allows me to, to be my best self. And emotionally, physically, professionally, all of those things have to work together. And so customers who believe what I believe are the customers I want to work with. So that's optimistic to me is that those more and more choices are becoming more and more available as before, maybe uh, less and less so um, in the earlier years of uh, starting my company. So as we wrap up our conversation, Stephanie, do you have any other final advice for business leaders that are seeking sustainable success? And as we talked about earlier, the continuous building of more diverse teams. I would say if you walk into a room and everybody there does looks looks exactly like <laughs> you, yeah, you should have an honest conversation about and a commitment to wanting to change that. So I, I would say that's the biggest takeaway I want people to realize is that innovation is all around you. If you were if you have the confidence and the inclination to go after and bring a new voices to the table, I, I would say that's the one bit of advice. And the other part of advice is because there's so much opportunity now um, to do things differently, find a niche that you're passionate about. You don't have to boil the ocean. You don't have to be a shark um, or even work for the sharks, right? You can find a niche and be a business owner in a very small pond, but still have a big impact um, in the industry. And so take advantage of, you know, of opportunity. They, they say that more millionaires are created during a transition than any other time in history. And yeah, so now true. is the time to take your opportunity and make it yours. Now is the time to take a risk, go out there and get what you want. Because I think this moment in time is so unique to us. I mean, a pen, the last pandemic was in 1917 and it is now, 19, you know, 2021. We have a huge opportunity to do some things differently. And boy, do you have a chance to make your mark in the world if you have the confidence and, uh, and the willingness to, to go after it. So I'd say take, your, take, your, take, your ch take a chance and uh, believe in yourself and, uh, and find people around you who are going to be your cheerleaders to, uh, to help you get there because it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. But if you can stay focused on what you want, you'll get there. Well, Stephanie, thanks for bringing your passion, your energy, 
your inspiration to Market Impact Insights today. A remarkable story. And thanks also for just the authenticity and in sharing your personal journey. Thank you, Dan. I had a lot of fun. I hope you can tell this is my passion and I love telling my story. So thank you for the opportunity to tell my story. I really appreciate it. And a reminder to everyone, please continue giving us the gift of feedback about the podcast. It's continuous improvement. Let us know what you like. You can do that easily on all the platforms, including Apple Podcast. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.